0: The following is a conversation with Dr. Harsh Parmar, who is an amazing oncologist and the author of multiple publications about plasma cell disorders. He's now working at John Terrier Cancer Center, part of Hackensack University Medical Center in New Jersey. Today, our topic is one of the greatest masqueraders of diseases, amyloidosis, specifically AL-type amyloidosis. Dr. Parmar received his medical degree from Sat GS Medical College and King Edward Memorial Hospital in Mumbai, India. He finished his internal medicine residency at Jersey Shore University Medical Center. And then he completed hematology oncology fellowships at University of Connecticut Health Center, and as well as advanced hematology fellowship at Mayo Clinic. Today, we are recording at Hackensack Meridian Health School of Medicine campus. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me too. Uh,
0: Dr. Parmar, my first question, what is AL amyloidosis and why is it different than other, uh, from the other types of amyloid disorders?
1: So AL is actually an abbreviation for, A for amyloid and L for light chain. So AL amyloidosis refers to The misfolding of the light chains that results in production of insoluble aggregates uh, that tend to deposit in many different organs that includes the heart, the kidneys, the liver, the GI tract, the peripheral nervous system, and the autonomic nervous system. So again, we have to be very careful when we are talking about AL amyloidosis. They can be the localized form of AL amyloidosis versus the systemic form. And the systemic form of AL amyloidosis tend to affect different organs mm-hmm. that necessitate intervention.
0: Interesting. Uh, so these misfolded proteins, where are they actually coming from?
1: So the light chains uh, is what you're referring to in terms of the misfolded proteins. And those tend to come from the plasma cells that typically reside in the bone marrow. And those are the cells which are responsible for production of these abnormal light chains. Mm -hmm. And how rapidly can
0: these amyloid deposits develop and cause organ dysfunction?
1: So the AL amyloid tends to be a more chronic disease than acute, so it tends to happen over a prolonged period of time, months to years. Mm -hmm. And what happens is when these misfolded light chains accumulate in organs, they can cause mechanical tissue disruption, Mm -hmm. oxidative cellular damage, Mm -hmm. and eventually organ dysfunction that can essentially affect the quality of life. Mm -hmm. And if particularly if the heart is affected, it can also cause death.
0: Interesting. So how about like in terms of clinical circumstances, when should we suspect AL amyloidosis?
1: So as you said, you know, AL amyloidosis is the great masquerader or the great imitator. Mm -hmm. There are no specific symptoms that, can trigger the thought about considering amyloid because if, like I said, it can virtually affect any organ. Mm -hmm. If it affects the heart, then you get symptoms of cardiac failure. Mm -hmm. So you can get shortness of breath, you can get orthopnea, Mm -hmm. you can get peripheral edema. Mm -hmm. Similarly, if it affects the kidneys, you excrete a lot of proteins in your urine in form of albumin. Mm -hmm. So you lose albumin from your blood and then again, you end up experiencing things like peripheral edema. Mm-hmm. Fatigue is also very common. Effect it affects the GI tract, and then again, depending on which part of the GI tract is getting affected, you can have various different mm-hmm. manifestations that includes diarrhea, particularly when the mucosa is affected because that can cause malabsorption. Mm-hmm. there is malabsorption you will lose weight you will have micronutrient deficiencies Mm -hmm. if it affects the deeper layer like the muscular layer Mm -hmm. then you can have issues like gastroparesis Mm -hmm. then you may end up having constipation if it affects the blood vessels Mm -hmm. then you may end up experiencing bleeding in the stools Mm -hmm. if it affects the peripheral nervous system the Mm -hmm. most common manifestation tends to be neuropathy numbness tingling that usually starts in the hands or feet and that progressively worsens over time Mm
0: -hmm. so as i understand this sounds like a chronic condition Um, but uh, how about the natural history like when you start developing amyloidosis, what is the course
1: Right. So, as I was saying, amyloid tends to be a more chronic disorder. So, you know, as far as the clinical outcomes go, it really depends on when it is diagnosed. So, there are various different staging systems which have been uh, utilized uh, that can predict for outcomes for these patients. So, there is the Mayo. 2012 staging system and the Boston University staging system as well. Mm-hmm. And mortality in amyloid is chiefly driven by the degree of cardiac involvement. Mm-hmm. So both of these systems look at the cardiac biomarkers. Mm-hmm. So there is the NT ProBNP, which is the N-terminal ProBNP, mm-hmm. which is a precursor molecule for BNP, mm-hmm. and troponin T along with the free light chain levels. Mm-hmm. So the Mayo stage utilizes these three parameters mm-hmm. uh, to stage their patients. The Boston University system utilizes BNP, troponin I. Mm-hmm. So looking at the Mayo 2012 staging system, if you meet a certain threshold, mm-hmm. if those biomarkers are all over that, threshold if one of them is affected you're a stage two if two of them are affected then you're a stage three Mm -hmm. and if all three are affected then you're a stage four and if none of them are affected you're a stage one Mm -hmm. so the higher the stage the worse your clinical outcomes Mm -hmm. so the earlier stage uh, tend to have better prognosis their survival is in the magnitude of several years close to a decade. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's stage two, the survival is close to 90 months. If it's stage three, then it tends to be about 12 to 24 months. If Mm -hmm. it's stage four, it's usually six months. Mm -hmm. The BU staging system, uh, the four stages also have similar outcomes in terms Mm -hmm. of survival. Interesting. So uh, how about the uh, diagnosis? How do we diagnose amyloidosis? So amyloidosis is not very common. As far as the incidence in the United States goes, we expect about 4,000 new cases of amyloid every year. Mm -hmm. When we talk about myeloma, the annual incidence is about Mm 35,000. Both of these diseases are orphan diseases. Mm -hmm. So it's really, you know, when we talk about amyloid, as I was saying, it's a multi-system disorder. Mm-hmm. And it can present with non specific symptoms. Mm-hmm. The key issue here is when the amyloid affects the heart. And as I was saying, mortality is chiefly driven by the degree of cardiac involvement. So, so it's very important to catch that cardiac involvement early on because that way we can intervene mm-hmm. and improve the outcomes for our patients. So if you have a patient with cardiac failure and there is no good reason or explanation Mm -hmm. for that cardiac failure, then amyloidosis is something that should be considered. Mm -hmm. It's the same issue with the kidneys as well when you have significant proteinuria, Mm -hmm. non-specific proteinuria or albuminuria specifically uh, in the order of several grams. Mm -hmm and it's some it's important to consider amyloid on your differential as well, mm-hmm. but uh, you know unfortunately, a lot of other disorders like diabetes and hypertension can also present in a similar uh, pattern mm-hmm. uh, so you know if a lot of our patients have an underlying diagnosis of hypertension and diabetes and when they come to the nephrologist or a primary care physician, they see a lot of proteins in the urine and mm-hmm. the first thought is that it's likely mm-hmm. diabetes or likely mm-hmm. related to hypertension. And then we are not thinking amyloid anymore. Mm-hmm. But it's important to consider this on your differential as well. Absolutely.
0: And so, such disorders are also very common and it can overlap and then- Correct. Further obscure the clinical picture. Absolutely. Uh, so, how about if I order like light chains like SPAP, UPAP, free plasma free light chains, the, am I still
1: ruling out amyloidosis? So, the gold standard to diagnose amyloid is to biopsy the target organ. So, if you are suspecting involvement of the heart with amyloid, I would recommend getting the biop- cardiac biopsy or endomyocardial biopsy. And even when you find amyloid deposition after red staining, it's very important to get the right type. So that sample needs to be sent for mass spectro um, mm-hmm. s- uh, spectrometry and confirm the tissue type uh, of the amyloid. Mm-hmm. Because the treatment can change considerably. Mm-hmm. There are 30 different types of amyloid, which have been actually more than 30 different types mm-hmm. of amyloid that have been identified, but the two most common form of systemic amyloid, mm-hmm. amyloids tend to be uh, the AL amyloid and the TTR amyloid. Mm-hmm. So it's important to differentiate between these two because it, the treatment approach is vastly mm-hmm. different for Absolutely. both of these conditions. So in clinical practice uh, how quickly can we get biopsies so the yes yeah, so that's a great question uh the biopsies can, you you can get the biopsy you can get the results of the congo red within a week mm-hmm. but when we talk about sending the sample for tissue typing mm-hmm. for mass spec it can take up to a month before you actually get the final diagnosis mm-hmm. of the specific type of amyloid mm-hmm. so yes the diagnosis can get delayed by a bit, but like I said, this process tends to be Mm -hmm. a very slow process. Mm -hmm. So there's no absolute urgency to jump on treatment right away, Mm -hmm. but it's important to get on it as soon as possible. I understand.
0: So uh, how about when we are suspecting cardiac amyloidosis, what other uh, imaging studies like such as ECHO, how these such studies or pyrophosphate scan how those studies can help me to diagnose some of the
1: So there are certain parameters that can actually help you understand what the underlying issue is when we are talking about, say, mm-hmm. hi, you know hypertrophy of the of ventricular walls, because that's one of the concerns mm-hmm. uh, that is expressed. Uh, you know, you can have left ventricular hypertrophy from many different conditions, including mm-hmm. hypertension, which is the most common reason mm-hmm. to get concentric LVH. Uh, but there are certain parameters like the average left ventricular global strain that tends to affect the amyloid more than mm-hmm. uh, patients with hypertension. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about LV strain, it essentially means the shortening of the cardiac myocytes and mm-hmm. compared to diastole. Mm-hmm. So that shortening is affected in amyloidosis, but it's not really affected in hypertension. Mm-hmm. So that's one way you can differentiate the two conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, this is not specific for amyloid. There's There are also other conditions that can affect strain, like for instance, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Mm-hmm. And then the pattern of the strain getting affected is also different for both of these conditions. Mm -hmm. So there is apical sparing in amyloid, which is not really found in other conditions that Mm -hmm. can cause hypertrophy of the heart. So that's Mm -hmm. another way you can differentiate Mm -hmm. uh, amyloid versus the other conditions. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there were some studies in the UK and Italy that suggested looking at Certain other parameters like the relative wall thickness, the E to E prime ratio, Mm -hmm. and uh, using their criteria, you can actually get a diagnostic sensitivity, or rather, I'm sorry, diagnostic specificity of Mm -hmm. over 95%. -hmm. Um, And another important imaging modality is uh, a cardiac MRI, Mm -hmm. where you will find late. Uh, gadolinium enhancement, mm-hmm. particularly in the subendocardium, mm-hmm. um, and uh, this this tends to be more common with AL, while the TTR amyloidosis tends to produce more of a transmural or a diffuse picture, mm-hmm. so MRI can also help you differentiate between the different mm-hmm. types of amyloid, particularly when uh, someone with expertise in amyloid reads it. I see. And as far as the PYP scan goes, uh, the PYP scan actually helps us differentiate uh, the type of amyloid. So, you know, if you have a lot of uptake on the PYP scan, then it would be suggestive of TTR amyloid. So. It, essentially is a rule out for TTR so if you don't have uptake on the PYP scan Mm -hmm. then it's not really suggestive of TTR Mm -hmm. so I usually order PYP scan when I'm suspecting the diagnosis of cardiac amyloidosis but I'm trying to differentiate TTR versus AL Mm -hmm. so the PYP scan shows uptake then I'm Mm -hmm. then I'm thinking more along the lines of TTR amyloid than AL amyloid I understand
0: so basically it's just changes the test probability for the type of the biopsy results that people get.
1: Right. And ideally you sh- as far as possible you should try to get the endomyocardial biopsy because that really is the gold standard. Mm-hmm. The PYP scan is something I consider if for some reason cardiac biopsy is considered to be very high risk mm-hmm. and uh, you know patient wants to avoid it then as long as I have evidence of Um, amyloid elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if the fat aspirate shows Mm -hmm. AL amyloid Mm -hmm. uh, and the imaging is suggestive Mm -hmm. of involvement of uh, the heart with Mm -hmm. amyloid, then I get a PYP and if the PYP is negative, then I can say that this is likely Mm -hmm. AL amyloid.
0: Okay. So just an extended question here. Uh, When I found these other signals from different organs, such as like kidney biopsy showing amyloid uh, and the typing comes as al type uh, but i am also suspecting cardiac amyloidosis and i have some uh, suggesting findings findings on mri uh, or the other uh, echocardiography imaging, imaging like as you suggested um, should i still pursue the cardiac uh, biopsy no time? i don't
1: think that is necessary if you've proven that Mm -hmm. uh, there is involvement of the kidneys Mm -hmm. with AL amyloid and you have confirmed it with mass spec, Mm -hmm. you're going to initiate treatment for renal amyloid anyways. Mm -hmm. So that's not going to change your approach. Mm -hmm. So that is why I don't think it's necessary to get a cardiac biopsy. Okay,
0: so uh, how about the mortality? Like when we diagnose, what affects the mortality?
1: Yeah, so as I was talking uh, before about the different staging systems, the mortality is chiefly driven by the degree of cardiac involvement. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, this is determined by uh, different biomarkers like nt B N P and troponins. Mm-hmm. And if uh, those levels are too high, mm-hmm. then the degree of cardiac involvement is much more higher mm-hmm. and the mortality risk is much higher. Okay,
0: so now I'd like to talk about the treatment, how we approach the treatment.
1: So looking at AL amyloidosis, there has been a lot of change in the recent years as far as treatments go. Uh, 20 years ago, there were limited options. Mm-hmm. One approach was to move the patients directly mm-hmm. to a stem cell transplant mm-hmm. if they do, did not have significant, if the patients did not have significant involvement in their bone marrow in regards to plasma cytosis. So if you had less than 10% plasma cells in the bone marrow mm-hmm. and say if you had an early stage involvement of the heart with AL amyloid or renal amyloid, and you could potentially just move these patients to a stem cell transplant the reason is back then the treatment options that were available were chiefly restricted to chemotherapy drugs like melphalan mm-hmm. and those you know melphalan or velcade rather velcade and the you know all of these agents had a lot of side effects particularly mm-hmm. velcade with neuropathy mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of times these patients, when they received induction therapy, they were rendered ineligible for transplant mm-hmm. just because of poor tolerability to these drugs. Mm-hmm. And they accumulated all these adverse effects. Mm-hmm. So one, of, so that is why the approach of moving directly to a stem cell transplant was justified. Mm-hmm. But more recently we had a um, uh, You know a publication in New England Journal of Medicine Mm -hmm. that was the Andromeda trial that looked at the combination of daratumumab, Mm -hmm. bortezomib or Velcade, Mm -hmm. cyclophosphamide Mm -hmm. and dexamethasone Mm -hmm. and they compared it with uh, bortezomib, cyclophosphamide and dexamethasone Mm -hmm. and they found very impressive response rates Mm -hmm. with the combination of the dara VCD Mm Uh, The overall response rates, as far as the hematological response goes, was uh, 95%. -hmm. And the complete hematological response was about 53%. -hmm. So the depth of these responses directly correlate with organ responses as Mm -hmm. well. And we found similar findings, like patients had improved cardiac response, Mm when they got Mm -hmm. DARA-VCD, they had a cardiac response was in the order of 41, 42%. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these patients who have cardiac involvement, they receive Mm DARA-VCD and they have improvement of their organ function Mm -hmm. uh, within a few months of initiating Mm -hmm. therapy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, we and and essentially some of these patients who are not transplant eligible, you Mm -hmm. can consider them Uh, to be transplant eligible if they have improvement or if they demonstrate uh, improvement of their cardiac function. Mm -hmm. So I think we are moving away from that paradigm of moving our patients directly to a stem cell transplant in favor of using induction therapy. Mm -hmm. And once they have a nice enough response, improvement of their organs and recovery in general, they can potentially become eligible for a stem cell transplant. And at that point, uh, we tend to transplant them. Mm -hmm. Another approach that is being considered at certain centers is to get rid of a stem cell transplant completely given the excellent responses that we are that seeing mm-hmm. uh, with this combination of mm-hmm. uh, the four drugs. Mm-hmm. So if you are able to get into a deep enough remission, mm-hmm. then one thought is to just not move ahead with the stem cell transplant.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you recommend like for the physicians who are suspecting amyloidosis Uh, keep your suspicions high when you suspect and then diagnose early and get these patients ready for the treatments. Correct. So how about, I just want to have an extended question here. So such therapies uh, uh, are uh, basically targeting the the baseline problem. Uh, Correct. Is there any type of treatment modalities that targets these such misfolded proteins?
1: Right. So, you know, when we talk about treatment for amyloidosis the treatment that i talked about essentially targets the underlying cause of the problem mm-hmm. which is the proliferative uh, plasma cells mm-hmm. so that's one approach the other approach is to stop the misfolding of the light chains themselves mm-hmm. and there are there are some data which suggest that doxycycline the mm-hmm. antibiotic can actually help with oh, that process so. mm-hmm and the third way we can treat patients with amyloid is to reverse the uh, or resolve the already deposited amyloid in the organs mm-hmm. so these uh, this particular approach is still under investigation mm-hmm. and there are certain chimeric monoclonal antibodies mm-hmm. which are being looked at mm-hmm. that bind to the deposited amyloid molecules. And uh, those are resolved mm-hmm. through macrophage activation. Oh, so that is still being investigated. Mm-hmm. And I think there was some data which was presented mm-hmm. about uh, six months ago at mm-hmm. ASH. And it showed improvement in outcomes for patients with uh, amyloid, cardiac amyloid involvement at an advanced degree. That's very really so it looks uh, yeah it, it's it's very exciting to mm-hmm. see how that is going to pan out in the future
0: mm-hmm. so well, how about follow up how how do you follow your patients uh, uh, who are uh, let's say getting these uh, bone marrow transplants
1: right uh, so you know after the pa- after, once the transplantation is done and patients are discharged, I usually see them for every uh, month. For the first three months. But of course, you know, immediately after their discharge, I follow them about a week after their discharge to make sure that their blood counts have recovered adequately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then subsequently I follow them follow up again in about two weeks mm-hmm. and then monthly for three mm-hmm. months a total of three months, and then it's every three-month follow-up. Mm-hmm. So what I'm looking at is, of course, the response that patients mm-hmm. have had with their transplant. So I'm looking at the light mm-hmm. chains, of course. And then I'm also looking at the organ recovery. So if the heart is involved, then I'm looking at their cardio biomarkers, mm-hmm. cardiac biomarkers. And if the kidneys are involved, I'm looking at the urine, mm-hmm. the 24-hour urine study mm-hmm. to check the degree of proteinuria. Mm-hmm. And I usually follow them every three months. Mm-hmm.
0: And also it's, it must be a multidisciplinary approach with the other Correct. cardiology Correct. And Absolutely. Probiotics. Yes. Uh, before uh, asking my last questions, I want to like step back uh, a little bit uh, as uh, I just like thought like, how about the amyloidosis? Is also a plasma cell dyscrasia? Like, is there an overlap between amyloidosis and uh,
1: multiple? Yes, multiple and multiple. definitely. So, in about sixty five to seventy percent of the cases, we find that amyloidosis. When we talk about AL amyloidosis, mm-hmm. the involvement in the bone marrow with plasma cells is less than 10%. -hmm. But in the remaining 30% of the cases, Mm -hmm. that degree of plasma cytosis is is Mm -hmm. over 10%. Mm -hmm. It can be in the magnitude of, Mm -hmm. you know, 40, 50 or 60%, at which point Mm -hmm. uh, you are thinking more along the lines of multiple myeloma. Mm -hmm. And this becomes a concern when Mm -hmm. they meet the CRAB criteria, Mm -hmm. you know, when your bones are affected Mm -hmm. with lytic Lesions, mm-hmm. or if your kidneys are mm-hmm. getting affected from cast mm-hmm. nephropathy, or if your patient is showing
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, a low level of hemoglobin mm-hmm. or anemia, so that's when you are thinking multiple myeloma in conjunction with amyloidosis. Understood.
0: And uh, just enough so to confuse the uh, this cast nephropathy, the, the the proteins collected in the tubules are different okay. than the proteins collected in correct.
1: the amyloidosis. Correct. Absolutely. So the, when you look at the 24-hour urine protein mm-hmm. study and you run the electrophoresis on it, mm-hmm. when we talk about amyloid, the mm-hmm. chief protein that is excreted in the urine in amyloid is albumin. Mm-hmm. When we talk about cast nephropathy, mm-hmm. it's mostly the light chains which are being excreted mm-hmm. in the urine and mm-hmm. that shows up as a spike in the mm-hmm. urine. And these are the Ben Jones proteins, which is mm-hmm. known as the Ben Jones proteinuria. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually you see the creatinine go up very rapidly mm-hmm. when, you are, when, you, when the renal dysfunction is from cast nephropathy mm-hmm. as opposed to amyloidosis where you, you won't see an elevated creatinine. Mm-hmm. It's chief knee proteinuria and majority of that tends to be albumin. Interesting.
0: Okay, so my last question, Uh, as a one-liner, how would you summarize today's session?
1: So I think it is very important to keep amyloidosis on your differential, particularly for patients who are experiencing cardiac failure or significant proteinuria. Mm -hmm. It's important to catch this diagnosis early on Mm -hmm. because that, is associated with favorable, favorable outcomes when mm-hmm. we can intervene early. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the important points to keep in mind.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Parmer. It was a pleasure uh, having you here at the Marion School of Medicine uh, campus. Uh, it's a rainy day today, but we mm-hmm. unpack a lot of stuff mm-hmm. about amyloidosis yes. and thank you for, the, for our uh, audience for listening and have a great day. All right, thank you for having me.
1: Awesome.